Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and today my guest is Adam Canitilla, the CFO of Growth-Minded Digital Marketing Agency Owners. In this episode, we'll learn a few things from Adam about finance, for example, what metrics we should focus on, why each company should have an ultimate goal, and what most people get wrong when it comes to working with the finance department. So, let's go! Hi Adam, it's great to have you on the show. Hi Felician, it's great to be here. Yeah, so I know absolutely nothing about finance, and here am I to, talking to a CFO. <laughs> so, <clears throat> please tell me, what should every B2B leader know about finance? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I always help is to understand a financial statement. And it doesn't matter if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, if you're in operations, if you don't understand how your department flows into that financial statement, how you impact that financial statement, you can't make any changes and you can't even suggest changes that could benefit the business. So that's a, you know, it's a huge piece is just that, you know, just, it doesn't have to be, you know, a CFO's level of understanding, but just to understand, okay, I'm in operations. These are the line items on that profit and loss statement or balance sheet or cash flow statement that basically I directly impact. Mm -hmm. What can I do there to, you know, to make those numbers better? So do you think that everybody in the company should have something like that? Like, let's say even recruiters that, yeah, I helped hire so many people and this was the impact on the company's revenue. Yeah, there, there's always the, those key performance indicators for each department. Um, and, you know, literally what at the end of the day, everything ties back to is the financial performance. Like, like you said, you know, recruiters need to hire certain roles. They need to, you know, they have salary ranges. So they need to fit them into those salary range because at some point a finance person created a budget in, you know, in collaboration with other people, you know, the, um, the technology team is in charge of managing all the apps that the, the company is using, you know, tracking who's actually using them, how much they're using them, you know, are we getting that return on investment from that, or is nobody using it, or still paying for it? Well, then a decision needs to be made. Why are we still using it? Why are we still or why are we still paying for it with nobody using it? Is it something that we can sunset? Can we turn it off? Can we discontinue that that subscription? Or can we get it on like an as-needed basis because, oh, we use it for this one project once a year and then we don't use it the other 11 months of the year. <laughs> so, you know, can we buy it, you know, for that one month that we needed for that one project, turn it on for that month, use it, and then turn it back off instead of paying for annual subscriptions and extra seats and, and everything along those lines. Like, I think that's the thing where... Most people, yeah, most companies could save a lot of money because they buy a, yeah, a SaaS tool or whatever for the whole year just because it saves them, let's say, 20% of the <laughs> total cost. But in the end, like people use it five times per year and <laughs> then it just sits in the corner and collects dust. Right. Yeah. So, you know, even if they're using it five times a year, you know, so they save 20%. So they're paying for like 10 months out of the 12. Well, if we're only using it five months, then we're, you know, we're actually paying extra. <laughs> we're paying yeah. for the five months we're not using it. So we're actually technically losing money on that overall transaction. What are the metrics we should really focus on? So, of course, it's the revenue. But what are the other things that we should pay attention? Yeah, so, 
each business is a little bit different. So, you know, like I primarily work with marketing agencies. The two biggest costs for marketing agencies are their internal staff and external contractors that they're utilizing. So I want to get as much detail on those pieces on the expense side. And then all the little stuff, you know, office supplies and, you know, whatever else is going on. It's just, you know, it happens sometimes, but it doesn't happen very often. I want to make those just kind of roll together and come to a number that's like, okay, all these 14 things roll up to like 5% of our expenses. Mm-hmm. These other two <laughs> are yeah. 85% of our expenses. So let's dig into more detail there and look at those pieces. Okay, let's, you know, here's our executive salary. Here's team leaders. Here's staff. Here's, you know, all these different contractors that we're utilizing. And then from there, how much are we utilizing them? You know, are they on a project basis? Are they tracking time that they're, you know, working on different clients? Uh, And that capacity piece, especially for agencies, is so important because if we're making a, a price to offer to a client and we have it that, you know, this particular role is going to spend five hours a week, but they're spending seven. Well, now we're over. So then we have to look at why are we going over? Did, you know, is that person doing extra stuff that isn't in the contract? You know, if they're supposed to do weekly updates to something and they're doing daily updates to something, you know, are they writing extra blogs? Are they, you know, posting extra, you know, posts on the social media? So it's looking to see if that's the case, or did we just have a bad number to start out with? Did we have five hours in there, but it actually in real life takes seven? Okay, well, now we have better information. So next time when we price it for the next customer, we're going to use seven hours in there because that's our actual baseline run rate based on actual, you know, activities. Great. You know, so that, you know, and then that'll, you know, gets into all of the pricing and, and everything else. But you need to have, you know, at least initial assumptions. (laughs) And then once you get data, compare that back to that initial assumption and figure out where you missed above, below, um, et cetera. And then you can, you know, improve your pricing. And that means you improve your product because you're delivering on what you're expecting, but also what the client's expecting. I love this answer because just by you explaining it, I've seen the direct correlation between finance and management. Like how we manage people, how, yeah, the way you manage people, how it impacts the revenue, basically. So yeah, and, and a big pushback that I always get when I, you know, when I advise my clients to have them have all of their employees track their time, is people feel like it's micromanagement. Like, oh, you're you're trying to track every minute of my day to make sure that you know that I'm, you know, you know, punching the clock for my eight hours, yeah. and that is the furthest thing. I treat everyone as adults. <laughs> I would hope that my clients as the, you know, the company owners treats everyone as adults and that's not how they're going to look at it. They're going to look at it as we're trying to, you know, we have profit targets that we're trying to hit. We base our pricing upon that. And that pricing is also based on a level of service and, you know, a certain number of touch points and everything else. So we're just trying to make the best decisions so that one, we can keep paying you what we're paying you. We don't, so that we don't have to do layoffs. We don't have to furlough people. We don't have to, you know, try to find a cheaper option for something. It's to match, you know, the whole continuum of that process so that everyone is happy. The client's happy, the employees and contractors are happy, and the business owner at the end of the day, 
you know, they're the one at risk for all of this. Um, if something goes south, that they're happy at the end of the day and they're bringing in as much money as they're looking to. One thing that just yeah, came to my mind, let's say you track all those things and you see that, yeah, your employees get things done in 30 hours per week. Like they don't have to work 40. And this way you can have an additional benefit for them, like make a four hour work week and you will attract candidates. You will stand apart from the competition. And yeah, basically it's a huge selling point if you want to attract the best in the market. So yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And the other piece too, is that if you're, you know, scheduling somebody to work 40 hours a week on client work, that's too much because every single role from CEO down to janitor <laughs> has administrative tasks that they have to do. They've got to check email. <clears throat> they've got to go to, you know, internal meetings. There's stuff in there that they can't be working 40 hours a week on client facing work. So, you know, <clears throat> and that's again, where that capacity comes into play is like, okay, they're, doing, you know, 24 hours of client facing work right now. And they're doing, you know, six to eight hours of administrative work. And again, you know, looking back, trying to get to that, like 30 to 32, you know, to be able to do a four day work week. Okay. Well, if two new clients come on and now all of a sudden they're at 32 hours of client work plus six to eight hours of administrative work. Well, now they're at that 40, you know, the four day work week has gone away or they're jamming in four 10 hour days instead of four, eight hour days. Well, that becomes now a hiring decision. Okay, do we need to hire another person into that role and start splitting that work across and say, okay, now, you know, so now for a little bit, both of them are way under capacity. And, you know, now they both might be at 16 to 20 client facing hours, but we're going to keep adding new clients and we're going to build, you know, build back up. But having, again, those metrics, that capacity, you know, information and data makes those decisions easier rather than all of a sudden, you know, now the person's at 45 hours of client facing time is getting completely burnt out. And, you know, maybe they quit, maybe they, you know, find a different job where they can work 30 hours a week instead of 50, you know, all of those things come into consideration, but if you don't have the data and information, they may not tell you like, Hey, I'm overloaded. Yeah. <laughs> but again, if you have that, the time tracking function, like, Oh, wow, you're spending a lot of time on all these clients, we need to get you more support. We need to bring on someone else to, you know, to lighten that load and split it across a couple people instead of just one. Yeah. Like that's the thing that more often than not, people will not say that they are overworked. <laughs> they will just say, yeah, it's okay. I have a worse day and they will just keep pushing. Yeah. But if you, yeah. If you keep track of the time and you see what they are really spending time on, then you can react. On the pre-interview, we were talking about the yeah having an ultimate goal in the business. And could you tell me how does the role of yeah of looking at finance change based on the ultimate goal? Sure. So, you know, some business owners are you know they're focused on getting their business ready to sell. So, in that aspect, <clears throat> you know, we want to get the financials as clean as possible. We want them to be as detailed as possible so that when it's presented to a potential buyer, they're like, yeah, this is a business I actually want to buy. <laughs> and, you know, could that mean that, you know, they need to, you know, hire some more staff at like the executive level or manager type level 
to ensure that you know they're more so just the owner rather than the operator potentially well that could be a short term cost that you know makes the financials look a little bit worse but makes it more valuable to that buyer because like oh look they have a management team in place i can come in as the buyer and i don't necessarily need to be doing this day to day uh you know, another goal is that some people are looking to grow. You know, they're at half a million in revenue, they're at a million in revenue, and they want to go to three million or five million or ten million. It's a different calculus. So, you know, it's looking at, okay, you know, how is our sales working? How is marketing working? How do we have the staff to be able to handle that many clients? You know, if we go from a million to two million, we doubled in revenue. You know, how many extra clients is that? How many extra staff do we need to make that happen? So the planning there is a lot more fluid because you don't want to ramp too quickly <laughs> with the staffing, but you also don't want to ramp too slow where all of a sudden now you have everyone working 40 to 45 hours a week on client activities and they're all getting burnt out and, you know, it's going the other direction. And then you have unhappy clients because not everything's getting handled in time. So having that goal, you know, looking to sell a business and kind of keep everything, you know, status quo versus trying to grow a business is two very different conversations. And at the end of the day, you know, it boils down to those finances again, because you need those, again, those key performance indicators, you need those benchmarks in place to say, okay, when we get to here, then we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Instead of, you know, going by the seat of our pants and saying, okay, well, I feel like we need to do this or I feel like we need to do that. And it's taking some of that like gut feel out of the decision-making process and saying, okay, here's data and information we have. Let's use that to inform our decision. <clears throat> and then, you know, some of it is still gut feel, um, but it's an informed gut feeling instead of just a straight up gut feeling. And what if someone wants to sustain the business? Let's say they have 10 people. They are happy because they are making, yeah, let's say 500,000 per year. Everybody gets a fair share. And yeah, do you have to look so much at the finance then also? Isn't it enough to just yeah keep track of the clients and that the revenue is coming in? Uh, you still have to, you know, cause there's always Pete, there's always moving pieces, you know, mm -hmm. no customer stays with anybody forever. <laughs> so, you know, even if you're looking to just, you know, maintain, you know, where you're at, you still have to have a sales process. You still have to have a marketing process. You still have to have, you know, all those operational processes to deliver to the clients. And, you know, if they've been with you for a very long time and they're happy, fantastic. That means, you know, your customer service is working well, your account management is working well. And so the priorities change a little bit. So maybe instead of having five salespeople, you only need three. Okay, well, now we, we make that adjustment and say, we aren't looking to grow, we're looking to maintain. So we don't need as much sales activities going to maintain based on, you know, clients churning and clients, you know, dropping off, we just have to replace them rather than trying to get, you know, replace them plus add new clients in. Lately, I've been looking at this idea that, yeah, creating a small consulting agency is enough. Because, yeah, if that's what makes you happy, because sometimes, yeah, people make a business 
and over time they lose touch with the market because they focus on managing instead of actually doing the work. And I was wondering how those finances in such companies look like, because yeah, everybody wants new business, but at the same time, if you have yeah, if you are working for four companies, let's say, and it's interesting, like, and you're happy, like, why would you push yourself to get more? Like, <laughs> right. This is the you know the ultimate dilemma, and this is something that that I've dealt with, um, because I, I've kind of gone back and forth. So when I started my fractional CFO practice, I was like, I am going to grow this. I'm going to have a whole team of fractional CFOs working for me and all the support staff behind them. And as I started going, I was like, you know, I got my first few clients and started working with them. I'm like, I really enjoy working with the clients. I don't want to necessarily manage a team of 30 or, you know, even 10 or five, you know, fractional CFOs. So I made the decision, I'm going to stay solo. So, you know, I've got some support staff. You know, I've got a virtual assistant and I've got a, a virtual office manager that helped me with my administrative tasks and things like that. But I do all the client facing work. I'm the one that's in all the meetings. I'm the one, you know, working on the Excel spreadsheets and doing the budgets and the forecasts because that's the stuff I enjoy doing. And if I extracted myself from that, and went into a management role where I'm managing all the people that are doing all of that. You know, can I mentor them and can I train them? Sure. But it's taking away a part of why I operate this business and why I like doing what I'm doing. And I don't want to make that choice right now. So, you know, the only way that I could really see myself doing that is if I stay as kind of one of the client facing CFOs and hire an operator to be that manager. So, you know, they're kind of my boss, even though I'm their boss <laughs> kind yeah. of situation. Um, because I like doing the client facing work and I like doing the sales and I like talking to prospects and it's a different feel when I'm talking to a prospect as the actual CFO that they'll be working with versus a salesperson or an account executive that's talking to them. And, you know, they might have been in, you know, the space for a long time and know everything about it, but they're not the ones that are going to be the go forward touch point. You know, they're not going to be the ones in those meetings. They're not going to be the person, you know, creating those forecasts and budget. And you just, you don't get to see how they think in real time in that sales process that my prospects and my clients have gotten to see with me. Yeah. I love this. Like, Really, I love this story, and I think it just shows your approach to business. Because some people, yeah, they believe they have to grow the company. Like, if you don't have a few employees, then you aren't really a businessman, let's say. But really, the best specialists, the best experts, they are often the ones that go solo. Just because they love working with the client, and that's why they provide the most value to the client, actually. Right. Well, and, you know, the other piece is it's a lot of hats to wear, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, you know, obviously I'm doing the client facing work. I'm the one doing all the sales. So I'm on sales calls every single week with prospects. I'm the one doing the marketing. I'm posting the social media, you know, so there's a lot of hats to wear in that role and other people make the choice that they don't want to do all and they would rather work for somebody 
And that's perfectly fine too. And I would never dissuade someone from being like, hey, I got this great offer for this job and I want to go have a job. Cool. Awesome. Again, you made a choice and that's what makes you happy because you don't want to sell. You don't want to market. You don't want to do all of those pieces to, you know, you know, to hope you get, you know, clients and hope you get paid. I enjoy that stuff. So, you know, for me, it, it works better for me, you know, to have that blend of, okay, you know, maybe I'll spend, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week in a spreadsheet, but I'll also spend another five hours on sales calls and I'll spend another couple hours doing social media and I'll do another couple hours just kind of crafting like marketing, you know, my marketing strategy and working with my, you know, the consultants I have to help me with that. And that's a good blend for me. And I like that blend. I like those, you know, being able to put on those different hats throughout the week. That's great. And Adam, what would you say, what do most people get wrong when it comes to finance? Because sometimes the finance department is portrayed as the devil inside the company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finance is probably, you know, just slightly above HR <laughs> as far as most people's opinions, because they, they feel like finance is always saying no. Uh, and that's sometimes the case is that, you know, sometimes like there's not a business use for this or there's not a good enough business use for this. So we're not going to buy that product or we're not going to hire that contractor. Uh, but other times it's, you know, it's looking at it creatively and saying, okay, the team is coming to us as finance and saying, we want to do X. You know, we want to do some training. We want to, you know, get this new tool. All right, let's have a conversation about it. Instead of it just being, you send me basically a proposal and then I send you a yes or no answer to it. Okay, send me a proposal. I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be an email, it can be a Slack message. Now let's talk about it. Let's figure out what is the purpose of this. And instead of the whole team going to a training, maybe one person goes and then they come back and train the team. Well, now instead of having five admissions, we only have one that we have to cover. Do we still get all the same information? Yes. Do we get it in the exact same way? Probably not, because the person that's going isn't the, the professional trainer that's doing that training. So, you know, it's balancing those pieces together to come back to a decision that's like, okay, this works not only for the team, but also for the company and for the finances. So opening up those things to conversations is huge because it allows them to have input and it allows them to feel valued. And that is crazy important. And that's a, a thing where I think a lot of finance people get a bad rap is that they get a directive a lot of time, like, you know, no new spending <laughs> is what you know comes down from, you know, from finance down the line. And everyone else is like, why? Because there's no, it's just like a directive. Like, you know, explain like, hey, you know, we've lost some clients. We're, you know, there's a recession <laughs> coming along. You know, what is the reasoning behind it? Or, you know, we're trying to hit a certain profit number this year to meet our goals. So we're, you know, we're not, we're saying no for now, but maybe in January or February, we'll say yes, because it's a new business year and everything. And then that'll help us drive more growth next year. So it's not a no forever. It might just be a no right now. But having that conversation allows everyone to be like, okay, that makes sense. Or maybe it's that doesn't make sense, <laughs> but that's the decision that was made. <laughs> yeah. 
like people have to realize that the finance team is there to make sure that the business is going in the right direction. Like, if not, like they have to hold the string sometimes, <laughs> but it's for a good cause. Exactly. Like, you know, one of our primary roles is to make sure that everyone gets to keep their job. <laughs> if we run out of money, everybody else doesn't get paid. <laughs> so, you know, the, like boiling it, all, boiling it all down to the, you know, to the nuts and bolts, like that's, you know, that's at the end of the day, what we're trying to do. And, you know, is a lot of it projection and is a lot of it modeling and kind of, you know, trying to predict the future. Yeah, there's a lot of that in there. But again, it's using that data that's available to say, okay, this is what's normally happened in the past. You know, maybe it was last year, maybe it was last quarter. Let's use that data so that we have a more accurate representation of things and go from there. Yeah. And Adam, if someone, yeah, let's say you have someone that wants to move into a leadership position at one point. Let's say that person is me. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best thing that I can do from a financial perspective? Yeah. And I think this kind of goes back to, you know, to the, my answer to the original question is, is understanding or getting a view into the financial performance of your team, of your department, or maybe of the company as a whole. And, you know, I, you know, some business owners hold their finances extremely close to the vest and that's okay. But any information that they're able to provide on a more detailed level to their employees helps them understand their job better. So, you know, if I'm on a team of five and, you know, we're working with these four clients and I don't know how we're performing for those four clients. You know, I don't have any idea what the total revenue is. I don't have any idea what is actually what actually costs to service those clients. Again, I can't make suggestions. I can't, you know, come up with improvements because I don't know what I'm measuring against. And even if I have that information, it's like, okay, we're profitable. Well, you know, if you're making a dollar, <laughs> you're profitable. But if the goal is to make a 10% margin or a 15% margin, one dollar does not <laughs> hit that benchmark. So it's, it's again, it's sharing those benchmarks and having them published where it's like, okay, you know, these are the company benchmarks that we're trying to hit this year. And here's where we are at them. You know, so you don't need to show, you know, everyone's salaries. You don't need to show all the, the nitty gritty details of everything, but it's like, you know, we're trying to hit 3 million in revenue this year. We're trying to do a 15% margin on that. Okay. So if we're halfway through the year, you know, let's just say that everything is flat. You know, we make the same amount of money every single month. We should be at a million and a half in revenue. And we should be at like $225,000 in profit on that million and a half in revenue. If we're not, okay, let's dig into that. Let's figure out why not. And it could be that, you know, there's been staffing issues or like we're, we're ramping up because some new clients are coming on. So we had to hire some new staff. So we're a little behind right now, but by the end of the year, we're going to hit our targets. So again, it's having that conversation and allowing all the employees to have at least a, a minimal view of here's the overall company metrics and here's how we're tracking against them. Um, Cause there, there's nothing worse than saying, Hey, you're all getting laid off 
because for the last six months, we haven't been hitting our numbers. We've been overstaffed. We haven't been hitting sales targets, whatever the case may be. But we didn't tell you any of that. <laughs> like the, the only notification you got is that now you can't log into your computer <laughs> and your email is shut off and you're wondering what's going on. Um, and that's not a good way to do business. That, that communication, you know, or it could, you know, maybe it's we're ahead. Let's celebrate that as a team because everyone on the team contributed to that. So maybe instead of it, we're at a million and a half, we're at two million already halfway through the year. Well, you know, if we still have half a year, maybe we're going to hit four million instead of three. That's fantastic. <laughs> so let's, you know, let's celebrate that and let's, you know, celebrate the wins, mit mitigate the losses or, you know, the perceived losses uh, and go from there and have that conversation. Also, like, I believe that's the a great takeaway for this conversation. But really, if you would have to leave, yeah, leave the audience with let's say two sentences about finance, what would that be? Uh, the first one is money is not scary, <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is always be curious because the more curiosity and the more questions you ask the better informed you're going to end up being. Awesome. Adam, it was great. Like, you were awesome guest and I had a lot of fun interviewing you. So, please tell us, where can people find you and how can you help them? Yeah, so uh, my website is adamkae.com. Uh, I can also be found on social media. Basically, if you search for the hashtag CFO Adam, that's pr the probably the easiest way <laughs> to find me. Uh, and then as far as how I can help them, my focus is on growth-minded digital marketing agencies. But I can certainly help other businesses. That's, again, that's my niche. That's my marketing pitch. Because <laughs> uh, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. So digital marketing agencies is who I direct my pitch towards. But anyone that's looking to grow their business and either isn't comfortable with their finances or isn't sure what to look for in their finances, that's somebody I can help. And that's someone that I can help guide to understand those better and to make better, more informed decisions instead of just making decisions. I will leave all the links to your website, to your LinkedIn profile in the description. So if someone wants to check, just click it and it should be there. And Adam, who should I interview next? So who is a B2B leader that I could learn from? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> like I literally interact with, you know, it, I'm in that space. So that, that's who I interact with on a daily basis. Um, Leslie Venets is a huge person in the sales landscape. So I, I think she'd be a fantastic interview. Um, Tony Albrecht is another person I know that, you know, he's just, the creativity that he inspires in in other people and in myself um, are fantastic. So I'd say either of those people, um, they, they'd be amazing interviews for you. Awesome. Thank you. I will definitely reach out to them. And thank you for the great interview. Yeah, thank I you for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. 
After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.